Deadwood Soundwell. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Welcome to Not Safe for Network. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. So let's just start out talking about Studio 66, which dropped a trailer. 666. Yes. All of those sixes. Uh, it's about the Foo Fighters moving into a haunted rock and roll mansion to record an album. Dave Grohl wrote it loosely based off of his experience recording the album Medicine at Midnight at Encino Mansion that Grohl thought was haunted. Tracks would suddenly be deleted and replaced with strange mic noise. It's due out in February 26th. So what did you think about this trailer the first thing i noticed is i think it's the same house that was in uh the latest bill and ted movie yeah could be i wouldn't be surprised and dave Grohl was in that house right i wonder yeah. if that's actually his house <laughs> no probably not but he probably doesn't live in a haunted mansion <laughs> i hope it was funny i really liked that trailer i mean i'm always in for foo fighters yeah i kind of wonder how the rest of them are going to do acting in the movie, but I know Dave Grohl can hold it down because he's certainly done enough of it. And I think Taylor Haskins has been in the spotlight enough that I think he can hold his own. Yeah, hopefully. But it looks like they're doing like an homage to like 80s and 90s horror movies a bit. So it looks like a lot of fun to me. And it seems like there's room for comedy and horror in this, which is what I really want to see out of it. I'm always down for a comedy horror. Yeah, Dave Grohl's got a touch for the uh, the comedy end of it. For sure. So, and he's played the devil multiple times now. So, the devil. Yeah, you're the devil. Uh, moving on. So, Paramount Plus is doing a 10 episode miniseries on the making of The Godfather called The Offer. Miles Teller will be playing a producer, Albert S. Rudy. It's also starring Colin Hanks, Michael Gandolfini. And this is inspired casting here Lou Fregno playing Lenny Montana. And it's premiering on April 28th. Do you know which one Lenny Montana is? No. That is Luca Brazzi. He looks like Luca Brazzi already. And I never would have thought of that. But then when I read the cast in him, I was like, perfect. That is perfect. And Lenny Montana, if I remember right, because I just did a, a, a Cosmic Void on The Godfather, I believe he was the one that was getting threats from the mob. So... <laughs> Like, there was actually people getting threats from the mob on The Godfather, so they were really, really nervous about that movie. And it turned out to be a great recruitment tool for the mob, much as Top Gun was a great recruitment tool for the Navy. Is this the kind of thing you would check out, pretending like you would pay for Paramount Plus? That's a definitely on the maybe scale. I'm checking it out, 100%. I love The Godfather, and also, Paramount Plus has done just enough for me to not drop it. <laughs> it's been doing just enough. Like when it was CBS All Access, it really sucked. I'm not going to mince words here. It was Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone and Star Trek, and that was it. That was the only reason why I had them. So the second they would drop them, I would try and drop the service, although sometimes my wife would watch reality shows that were on it, so I'd have to keep it a little bit longer. But they've done a really good job of adding a lot of movies on there because they're accessing the Paramount library, which has so many fucking good movies, including the Godfather movies, although not available right now. <laughs> they're kind of all over the place. I'm going to check this out. I'm super interested in it. And I always like Hollywood history anyway. So even if it was a movie I didn't give a fuck about, I might just watch it because of that aspect of it, you know? 
So the 2022 Academy Awards will have a host this year. Tom Holland has said he would like to do it, and The Hollywood Reporter has learned that the Oscars has reached out to him. What do you think about this, if it winds up being Tom Holland? There's no announcement yet, so we don't know, but it sounds like that might be the direction that is he's a going towards. interesting choice. Yeah, is he going to use his little British voice, or is he going to talk like Spider-Man? He's probably going to go British. I'm sure he's going to go British. Go with a la natural. So it's been, believe it or not, three years since they've had a host on the show. It just feels like it wasn't that long ago that they went hostless. And it turns out it's been three shows. God, has it really been that long? Yeah. Because I think the last time I actually watched the Oscars, it had a host. Yeah, the last one was Jimmy Kimmel. And that was when they did the whole contest for the person with the shortest speech got the speedboat i think i actually watched the one jet after ski. that. yeah the jet ski yeah well the one after that was the first one they went hostless i think that's the one parasite one right then i had didn't watch that one. Oh, carl was over here and i remember we watched the whole thing it was amazing getting carl to sit down to watch a, you know most of an oscars he wasn't here the whole time but and it was like celebratory because it was just like wow parasites actually winning shit in my heart of hearts did not think they would win anything but foreign language film although i felt like they deserved everything they were up for so i was very happy and i think they deserved everything they won so absolutely the next one was super delayed right like they they were supposed to do it in february they wound up doing it in april and i think they did it in the train station that brings us up to now (laughs) i have no idea what's going to be up there i have not been doing my homework and like researching this shit but once again i want bradley cooper up supporting actor for licorice pizza dude that's the only thing i feel super strong about right now is i want that one up in the spotlight so yeah i have no idea any of it so yeah fair now that I think about it, I kind of want whoever is a cinematographer for the French Dispatch to get a cinematography nod as well. It was really amazing what they did with that boxy format. It was pretty cool. So yeah, I'd like to see that too. That's not out of the realm of possibility. I feel like Wes Anderson's cinematographers have been up there a few times. I think so. Yeah. Okay. So Craig Hurwich, who's in charge of content for Hulu, has said there's no further Marvel content planned for the service. He avoided answering if Modoc or Hitmonkey would get a second season, saying that Marvel and the team will make decisions for the franchise in that brand. So to me, that reads that like Modoc is not happening again and Hitmonkey is not happening again. Yeah. I'm bummed. Out. I like which both is too of bad. Shows. Yeah. So I don't think we really talked about Hitmonkey. Carl and I talked about it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't. Did you watch Hitmonkey? Oh yeah. What'd you think? I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I did too. You I know was... if it was sustainable for further seasons, but no, I thought it was a good like it was. If it ended where it did, I think it would be fine. Yeah, I'm um, not happy with where Modoc ended because. And I know I was the only one that liked it, but like I thought there was a lot more story to tell and I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could do more Hitmonkey, but I feel like that art was self-sustaining. So once again, it comes from like a couple issues of comics. Like it's yeah. not even like Hitmonkey is like the super recurring character. So a miniseries feels right for that character, you know? Yeah. Um, and then Gunn said that he's involved in a TV project for DC. Marvel really fucked up. That's like a movie and two shows that he's doing. He still hasn't filmed the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special yet. So I don't know, man. I think James Gunn might be DC forever. 
He's really pushing that way. I mean, he did so well with the Suicide Squad. It, it's hard to say how well that went. You know what I mean? Because it was like the simultaneous HBO Max release. It was definitely when people were not fully vaccinated yet. Yeah. It's hard to know. The people I surround myself with, they're all kind of nerdy. So mm-hmm. everybody I know saw it. Yeah, me too. The cross-section of America that I know is not a representation of everybody. Yeah. It is tough to say, too, because it's just like without those box office numbers, I don't know. Really, it's just like Warner's knows whether they're happy with it or not. And I felt like it was looked at as a failure by a lot of the press, but that that was when they were still looking at all those HBO Max releases is like, they need to like do this massive amount. And it's like, that's not going to happen. They just put it in the TV at home, you know? Yeah. Like at the same time, that's not going to fucking happen. So I've, the only one I feel super confident that they were really, really pleased with was Dune because Dune got so much traction and so much talk everywhere. And it did okay theater numbers considering HBO Max was going. And of course, some of the media looked at that like, oh, it's this giant failure. But it's like, no, HBO Max kind of cut their legs out from under them. Yeah. Which has led to this giant lawsuit. And I think out of it, what we have is Legacy Pictures, who has put up the production numbers for two thirds of Dune, basically said that when the sequel comes out, it will have a 45 day window before it hits HBO Max. So they made sure to get that into the contract for the sequel. So there's a lawsuit, but they said, to continue forward with the sequel because I mean they both still want to make money yeah (laughs) and you're not going to make money if you sit on that shit like Timothy Chalamet is only going to be young for so long you know unless he makes a Paul Rudd career Paul Rudd if you look at him and Clueless and you look at him now I know the joke I get the the joke and he does look young for his age but like he looks really fucking young and Clueless I'm just saying like you have no doubt He's a teenager and clueless. And then you look at him now and it's like, no, nobody's mistaken you for a teenager. (laughs) No. Somebody in their 30s, sure. Not a teenager. Yeah. And somebody who's probably pushing 50 nowadays. Okay. So we are going to talk about Cobra Kai season four. Just consider this a spoiler warning. We're just going to talk about the entire season and you can just skip ahead to Carl if you don't want to hear it. All right, so what were your impressions of Cobra Kai Season 4? Did you like it, or did you love it, or did you hate it, or did you feel meh? It was a like to love somewhere in that zone. By Season 4, you can see a lot of the season repetition. Yeah. The way the season progresses is pretty similar every season. Yeah, I remember last season we enjoyed it, but you can tell it's been a while since that season because we're talking about a pop culture consumption when that show was going. (laughs) I remember specifically saying, and you were adamantly agreeing with me, that they needed to end this shit between Daniel and Johnny Lawrence, right? And we both agreed, like, if this continues, it's going to get really fucking hard to watch. And then they teamed up at the end of the season, right? Yeah. So it was just like, all right, thank God. We're like putting this shit to bed. Eh. Eh. <laughs> I mean, they still get in a fight. Yeah, like the third to last episode, they're fighting again. Like literally <sighs> fighting again. Dude, and- by the third to last episode, by like episode three of the season. No, I mean like they again. were literally like fighting like showdown at sundown. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh, God damn, dude. <laughs> this show, I don't know how to rate it. I'm 
there was moments where I was just like, you know what? I might be done with this show. And then they would just have some cliffhanger where I'm like, fuck. And then I got to watch it again because like there was stuff that I liked. And I can't totally write it off, but I do feel like this either is a show that shouldn't run forever or they need to just bring in new blood and start exercising some of the people from it. Like Daniel LaRusso, in my heart, I love as the Karate Kid, but like him and his family are just hard to handle. Like they're just hard to watch anymore. Yeah. And at first it was like Daniel, I was like wanting to root for him. You know what I mean? And you were looking at like, Johnny's trying, but he's doing fucked up things, you know, but like Daniel's a bit of a douche, but also, you know, he's going to do the right thing. And then they've gone to this weird place where it's like Johnny Lawrence, his toxicity never really ends. We're just going to keep that going, but he'll learn some stuff, but he's still going to be this super toxic dude. Right. Yeah. And then like Daniel, they've just like tripled down on him being a rich douchebag. And it's like, I kind of fucking hate his whole family at this point. Like, even his wife was like, yeah, she, she was, like, great for a while, and then in this season, she, she just She keeps, like, needling a- in places that she doesn't really need to needle and causing chaos. Having the son be a bigger part and then being a bully, that I guess I kind of approve of a little bit because they're doing a thing with it. But like they have to either have Daniel legitimately learn a lesson or fucking leave the show. (laughs) That's where I'm starting to get at. He's getting real unbearable to watch. And I still enjoy Johnny, so I can watch that all day, even though he's a fucking moron. (laughs) Like, I still enjoy that. I like John Kreese in it, but I was very surprised, very, very surprised when they brought in the villain from the Karate Kid Part 3, and that fucking worked Terry Silver? Terry Silver, yeah. Dude, but, that guy is fucking unhinged. But I fucking Well, he was the, unhinged. I how he was centered and smart making all of the right decisions. I mean, I think he literally says, when I teamed up with you last, John, I was on cocaine and I was trying to destroy a high schooler. Like, how pathetic is that, you know? And I fucking love that they, like, did that because Cry Kid 3 is fucking ridiculous. (laughs) It's not one I ever recommend people watch. It was uber serious when it came out, and it's fucking ridiculous. And I really like the way that they did his character, but even by the end, they have him playing this like manipulative douchebag you know i like that him and john crease are butting heads right yeah but i don't like that they're starting to position john crease as like an anti-hero in this i kind of don't like that like can we just keep one villain like i know you're trying to show both sides of everybody and i get it what was fun about john crease was when they brought him back you're like fuck that's a villain and they start to make you think maybe he'll be okay but then it's like nope that was all just part of the long game like john crease is evil because he's john crease john crease was the worst and a lot of people didn't realize who was the worst in the first movie because they thought johnny lawrence was the worst but if you go back watching it you don't even need cobra kai eyes for it if you just go back johnny goes hey you're all right larusso and like gives him five after the tournament yeah like after he gets knocked the fuck out john crease is the worst because he's the teacher instilling this awful stuff into kids And there's a part of me that's like, I get that you're trying to make him not one-dimensional. Can't we just keep Don Kreese doing what he does the best, which is be evil? Yeah, I still think he is basically evil. They just kind of barely rounded off the corners. You know what they're doing with this, though, right? Because, like, they end the season with he makes a decision to let his kid do the thing, you know, and not do the sweep the leg moment, right? Right. Like, let's the kid 
make a decision and she makes the right decision and wins because of it. So he's rewarded for doing the right thing. But then that immediately goes with Terry Silver having him arrested for beating down that sad, sad old guy who's like trying to be in Cobra Stingray. Stingray, right. And, Canadian uh, Farva. Yeah. And you know that that's just them trying to play with it where like John Kreese is probably going to team back up with Johnny. God. You know it's going to happen, dude. By the way, still laugh every time I hear the term E Eagle thing. <laughs> so <laughs> fucking ridiculous. So good, dude. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I do like the power struggle end of it, but they better not start trying to make John Kreese good. Stop it. That's the one thing I'm just like, stop it. This is too no, much. No, I, I completely agree with you on that. I, I think he needs to stay evil. I mean, they can soften him a little bit, but he still needs to be evil. Yeah. If you're going to make the LaRussos evil, just fucking make them evil. Stop, like, half-stepping to it. You know what I mean? I can't bear it anymore. If you're just going to make them the villains of the show, then do it. Stop having Daniel, like, have these understanding moments, but then just completely going against his advice. It's obnoxious. There is nothing more obnoxious than when you watch a character on TV and they're a fucking nag. And they also aren't doing the right thing. And they just do it repetitively over and over again. You know, it's why I turned against Foggy in the Daredevil series. Because it's like, how many times can I hear a guy tell a superhero, you're doing the wrong thing, you're destroying our friendship, like all of that stuff. Like, I'm tired of it. Just stop. Stop being repetitive. Yeah. What was kind of a turning point, and it was where the Miyagi-Do and Eagle Fang, like, broke up again. Like, the Dan LaRusso's, uh, his just stubbornness. He couldn't see the bigger picture of, like, what's best for these kids. Yeah. To learn offense and defense. You get it from Johnny. You know what I mean? Because, like, it's baked into his character. Like, you understand that, like, Johnny is a lunkhead, so it's forgivable. But this was the protagonist, like, hero of our other movies who, like, supposedly learned lessons, you know? Yeah, and, you know, and especially in season three, they had the whole arc where Daniel went to Okinawa and was training with Chosen and was learning these other stuff that Miyagi had never taught him. These paralyzing, like maneuvers and stuff to him that like you know just the defensive stuff that Miyagi taught you isn't all that Miyagi knew yeah you know how I would fix that in the show coming up and just be done with it because I think they're leaning a little too heavy in that direction right now like if you want to make the show watchable very early in season five have somebody who is one of Mr. Miyagi's friends in the States come over and like have a drink with Daniel or something and then have him bring up like, oh, no, he knew all that stuff. Like he knew all that offensive stuff and he believed in it. And then Daniel can be like, well, why didn't he teach me? He's like, they be- did. That's because- what they no, did no, no. that in season because three. You say he didn't teach you because that's not what you needed to learn because like you were already an abrasive kid. You needed to just learn to defend yourself because if you learn to strike out, it was going to be a problem. But that's not how everybody is, Daniel. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like put it square on him and then have him actually like make the change because like I'm fine with conflict. I just don't want the same conflict over and over again. Here's the problem with this show. They set up a conflict and they like start leaning in the direction like they're going to solve it and then they don't. 
something that should only be a conflict for a season winds up just lingering for far too long, right? And I do kind of wonder if younger people watching this even care about that part of it. And it could be because we're bringing the Karate Kid baggage with us. Like to them, if they watch those movies, it's just a movie that they just watched, right? But to us, it's like been there our entire lives, right? Like I got in trouble for crank kicking my brother in the face, like (laughs) immediately after we watched that movie. My dad had this friend in Missoula and he had like a big ass fucking projection projection TV that sounded like that when it hit the floor. <laughs> Just this fucking big behemoth TV that you had to sit like 15 feet from or you couldn't see it. So it sort of negate the point of having a giant TV, but whatever. It was the 80s. Like we're on cocaine. We're fucking going after high schoolers. None of it made sense. Anyway, so like we're watching that and the second it was over, we went outside and started doing karate and right as my dad walked out i crank kicked my brother in the face and he tells that to my kids over and over again (laughs) and now like it's one of those things they fucking delight in bringing up to me all the time and it's like i was five years old what's your excuse (laughs) but you're just beating the shit out of your sister like you're not five years old (laughs) whatever what was i talking about karate kid right okay so like to them i don't think it's a big deal but to us it's been around us our whole lives and we have this distinct drawing out of these characters and they found a way to make Johnny really work because they took what was already there and they just expanded on this little part that people don't think about because it wasn't the main part of the movie right yeah which is smart and then they expanded on like Daniel being a dick off of a little parts of the movie too you have to take into account the other parts to him too and with this I mean Daniel You can't have him act this way and still expect us to, like, somewhat root for him. And I don't know what they're doing. Are they doing the Breaking Bad thing where they wanted people to turn against Walter? Or, like, the Sopranos thing where they had a whole season where they wanted everybody to turn on Tony because people are rooting for him so much? I don't know. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. I just wish they wouldn't be repetitive with it, you know? So... They have an opportunity to do what you were talking about with Daniel really learning something because the very end of the last episode, Chosen shows back up in the States. Right, yeah. Because they have already finished filming season five. It'll be out later this year sometime. But Chosen is pretty heavily involved in season five. So I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch it. God damn it. Uh, well, let's talk about some things that I did like in it. I liked Miguel. He's fun to watch. I do feel like the actor felt almost a little too checked out at some scenes. And I don't think it was that he was actually checked out. I just think he was trying to play up the calm that he got around Daniel. It kind of played as like, I'm super high and not interested. And I don't think that's what he uh, meant to put across. It kind but. of like seemed like a typical high school kid, though. Fair, in a lot of ways. Fair. Although that kid does not look no, like a no, high school no, kid no, no, no. anymore. <laughs> like that kid, and I say kid meaning somebody in their 20s, he cannot pass as a high schooler anymore. So they need to figure out how to advance that. That's the other thing. Their time is not passing fast enough in this series. Yeah. We are in season four. There should have been four tournaments. I'm sorry. There should have been four tournaments. I know you get to like play with time the way you want. You are dealing with adults playing high schoolers every year they look so much less like a high schooler if you actually casted your leads as high schoolers it would be fine maybe i don't know you grow a lot in high school but like it's not fine now like 
Your leads look way too fucking old for this show at this point. So I think they need to have a graduation or something. And it's not that you kick those kids out. It's just you do something different. They don't have to be in high school. They could be in college. They could be like running around trying to figure out what the fuck to do with their life, right? Your three mains for the younger generation, they don't pass for that age anymore. So you need to fucking fix that shit. (laughs) (laughs) And in the future, I want a tournament ending every season or at least a tournament every season, please, or Rocky it or something like have them right before the tournament and then begin the next season with the tournament and then do a time jump because like this is starting to get ridiculous, dude. They have gone through, I'm going to say a year and a half in four seasons. They're not advancing quick enough. Yeah. I was going to say what I loved about it and I started bitching about it again. <laughs> It's not a hate watch, but, like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed in Cobra Kai this season. <laughs> they could have been better. I really like the What's-Her-Face who plays the villain. Uh, uh, Tori? Tori, yeah. Starts out as villain. They, like, actually successfully make her a well-rounded character because she was a complete villain last season. Yeah. It, it and had then, to be very easy to do that this season. And I actually want to see more of her story. Her aunt, who was a druggy piece of shit, shows up. And, like, some of that, her home life is fucking awful. I want to see more of that, like, how she's managing that stuff. I'm going to be honest, dude. She's kind of easy on the eyes. She's kind of easy on the eyes, you know? Like, Miguel's easy on the eyes, too. So... You got that, but she's easy on the eyes. And I felt a little bad about that when I was watching it. And I was like, no fucking way she's in high school. Why am I feeling bad? So I looked it up. How old do you think she is? 23. You are exactly right. <laughs> you are exactly right, dude. Once again, dude, they casted a 22-year-old to play like what? A sophomore in high school? What the fuck is she? Like they, years don't seem to matter in that show. You know yeah. what I mean? They don't really address what grade anybody's in. Yeah, and I'm starting to really not care about Robbie so much. Yeah, Robbie is an appendage. Like, they need to resolve something with him and have him move on with his life. Yeah. That shit's getting old because it's like, what is the point? I'm going to hate my dad forever. Now I'm going to hate Daniel forever. But, like, I still want to do the right thing, but I'm doing it in the wrong way. Like, this is getting old, dude. Once It's the repetition again. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not, I don't even think that character needs to go. He just needs to fucking pick a lane and stay in it and, like, move on to a different thing, you know? He needs to do something different. It's also fucking weird that, like, if you go with the timeline of this show, he's only been doing karate for, like, two years. No, no. I'm telling you, it's like a year and a half of time. And I think that the first two months of that, he wasn't even training. So... This is a kid who's got like 16 months of training at best. And he's with he's practically a fucking three uh, different studios, basically. Senseis. Yeah. He's basically. Well, no, because he never really did it for his dad. Right. So it's been two because it was for Daniel and then it was for Crease. Uh, Crease. Yeah. He's only got like 16 months of training and. They're acting like he's just a rung below sensei. And it's like, I know he's been on the show a long time, but like this kid has not earned the reps either in the story time. And that's the danger of not putting enough time in between. Like they're all acting like Hawk was this awesome thing that was like amazing and then had this redemptive arc. You do realize his arc is over the course of one year. In one year, he was a champion and then disgraced and then a champion again. One year. (laughs) One. (laughs) 
The only one, the only one who's been doing it long enough of the young people is Daniel's daughter. I can't remember the character's name. And uh, she doesn't look too terribly convincing doing karate compared to everybody else, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Like that Tori girl is fucking great at karate. Her? Eh. But I guess she's a champion because, well, in the championship because they want her to be. I don't know. <laughs> because plot. You know what would really turn the series around? What's that? Dokes. Dokes. Yeah, just bring in Dokes, dude. You don't have to call him Dokes. You could call him like uh uh Sensei Dokes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Sensei Dokes. <laughs> just don't address that like his first name isn't Sensei. If anybody asks, and he could just come up and be like, You're a goddamn freak show, Robbie. <laughs> He's fucking great. All right, so you had some sort of quiz for me? Not really a quiz. It's just kind of like uh, working through through where we think senseis are on an alignment chart. You, with like a D&D alignment chart of, uh, should we explain them really quick for people who don't play D&D? Yeah, let's do that. So one side of it is either good, neutral, or evil. And the other side of it is lawful, neutral, neutral or, or chaotic. chaotic, right? So like an example would be lawful good. That would be somebody who has good in their heart and always does the right thing and follows the law to the letter of the law, right? Chaotic good would be like somebody who follows their moral compass no matter what, doesn't care if the law is involved or not. Neutral good is somewhere in between there, right? Yeah. Lawful evil would be somebody who like follows the letter of the law, but they use it to twist it into their own purposes. Like, I don't know, Mitch McConnell, for example. (laughs) She's that one. And then like chaotic evil would be somebody who's like a serial killer or something. That's almost too ordered in a way. It would be like the Joker. The yeah, Joker, Joker is, like is chaotic definitely chaotic evil. evil. Yeah, and then neutral evil, once again, would be somewhere in between on the that scale. And then you have lawful neutral, which is just like somebody who is regimented and follows the rules no matter what. Doesn't matter if somebody's suffering or if good comes of it or what. He's just going to follow the law. And then true neutral is almost like an animal where it's just like they will react the way that they react to things happening and they just sort of like stay true to themselves, but they don't really like go into like good or evil. That doesn't really play into it. Probably realistically, like how a lot of people are in the world, right? Okay, so yeah. we're going to figure out where they are in these scales. I was going to start with uh, Mr. Miyagi. So we're going all senseis here. Yeah. Okay. Mr. Miyagi. Miyagi follows rules. Yes. And he's good. I he, would put him feels, law- lawful good. As he where. feels lawful good. Yeah. I, I don't know any other way to couch that. Yeah, Danny LaRusso. Don't we have to go John Kreese at this one if we're going like... We're going to get there. We're going to get there. All right, all right. Danny LaRusso. Are we taking Cobra Kai into account here? Yeah, it's... It's everything. The entire mythos, pretty much. Jesus Christ. He has rules, but then he breaks rules. And he believes in balance, but then he doesn't really follow balance, right? Yeah. I'm going to say chaotic neutral, honestly. See, I had him pegged neutral good. Because he's... Yeah, I think in his heart he's good. He's just an asshole. But neutral good feels too good. I almost feel like he's true neutral, honestly. Like, think about the Karate Kid, dude. He is a dick in big parts of it, right? Yeah. But he's also good. And then the second one, he's good. But then in the third one, he's evil for most of the third one. And then in Cobra Kai, he's becoming more of a dick as it goes along. But then he has these little parts where he shows something good. I am going to go true neutral. Okay. I can I can follow that. You're going neutral good? I'm going to stick with neutral good, but he's on the chaotic 
end of neutral good. Okay. Uh, Johnny Lawrence. We can agree chaotic is one end of Johnny Lawrence, right? He does yeah. not give a fuck about rules. <laughs> no, he's definitely chaotic. Yeah, so he's chaotic. Man, I think he's chaotic neutral. You just don't know where he's going. If you're taking into account the bullying and some of the stuff he puts the kids through, yeah. it's definitely evil. <laughs> but And like calling them pussies and stuff like that. But then like he he's does do a lot of good. But, he's but got... he does do good things too. I think he's chaotic neutral. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go John Kreese. John Kreese is lawful evil. I would completely agree Because with that. everything that he does is terrible, but it also like always It adheres. seems very calculated. Yes. All right. I won't let my kids beat the shit out of Daniel right now because they're going to beat the shit out of him at the tournament. And then it's like, yeah, I want you to take out that leg because like, yeah, you'll get kicked out of the tournament, but it'll help for later on. He's working within the rules to do these things, right? That's like the first Karate Kid movie. The second, well, the second Karate Kid movie just tries to punch out Miyagi and hit some glass. So that's not great. But he's like, Fucking about to punch Johnny and stuff. So he's got a real problem there. You know what I mean? And then the third one, he's trying to get Daniel. Well, yeah, I don't think he does anything illegal in the Karate Kid 3, really. Definitely in Cobra Kai, like he takes over the dojo off of a letter of the law kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's lawful evil. Terry Silver. That one's tough because we've got two Terry Silvers here, right? We have got hearts in the right place, Terry Silver, and we have got calculated fucking evil, Terry Silver. Okay, but he manages to be rich and like go within systems and like manipulate systems. It seems like he does pull rank, but then he fights up the ladder to get what he wants. Then again, he's breaking the law. I don't want to overcount the good stuff because he snaps, but I'm having a hard time like pinning See, him See, I am really pushing chaotic evil with him. Right, but he did good stuff earlier in the series too, and I don't think that was just for the sake of being good. I think Johnny pushed him back in that direction, right? Or not Johnny, I'm sorry, John Kreese. I think John Kreese pushed him back in that direction. Yeah, I think he was like in a neutral place when we first came back to... Maybe he's neutral evil. I'm not sure it's exactly right, but I feel like that's the closest that we're going to get. Sometimes these alignments are tough, you know? Yeah. Sometimes they don't quite work out. But yeah, I'm going to go neutral evil on that one. Yeah. I don't know. Karate Kid 3, I feel is chaotic evil, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but he's coked out, dude, and it was the 80s. (laughs) (laughs) He explained it. (laughs) Like, he was definitely chaotic then. He almost felt like lawful good coming back to Johnny. So I'm just like, okay, what's in between chaotic and lawful? It's neutral. Is he more good or evil or neutral? Like, we could go true neutral. Maybe he is true neutral. I. But no, he goes too far in directions. He goes too far. Yeah. Yeah, I, he's probably neutral evil. That's where I'm going to go. Off of the, the sum total of Terry Silver, <laughs> I'm going neutral evil. I, I can believe that. Uh see what else. I feel like that's all the senseis, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we're going to get chosen, but I don't think we really have a I don't good, think we can. Yeah, we have we to We just saw, style. all we've seen is the asshole side of him in Karate Kid Part 2. And then, like, in Season 3, we had just a, that one episode. Have you ever seen the next Karate Kid? Is that the one with uh, Hillary Swank? Yeah. I think I did, but I don't remember. I never saw it. Which Karate Kid movies have you actually seen? I have seen the first three for sure. Okay. I remember you telling me you hadn't seen two and three at a certain point. It so was a long time ago. Like, okay, so you just didn't remember it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure I've seen the first three. 
I say for sure. I know exactly which ones I've seen. I've seen one, two, and three. I did not see the next Karate Kid. And then I saw the remake, the Karate Kid, because it had Jackie Chan in it. And uh, my kids wanted to watch it. So I was like, all right. And I thought it was okay. But, you know, I don't necessarily like starting over the timeline either. I gotta watch the next Karate Kid at some point. They're gonna bring somebody from the next Karate Kid in, right? That's yeah, gotta happen. Because that had... Is Hillary Swank's career, like, flagged enough to bring her in yet? Well, I guess they did bring in Elizabeth Shue. Dude, I'm sorry, but Elizabeth Shue is not, like, A-list anymore. Like, I love Elizabeth no, Shue. But Don't I mean, get like... me wrong. I love, love Elizabeth Shue. But, like, she's really only known for, like, right now, like, in the last, like, 10 years, for, like, a season of Cobra Kai, and really it was an episode, right? Yeah, pretty much. And then being on one season of the boys before she dies that's it she's not a headliner anymore so she makes sense to be on that show like she makes sense to be on that show like billy zapka makes sense to be on that show you know what i mean they're they were at similar levels now billy zapka's bigger because of the show but i think hillary swank might still be too big they might have to bring her in like season nine <laughs> god i hope it does. <laughs> i actually don't think don't want that show to go that long I think if they get fresh blood and they do it right, they could. I was really getting off on what they were doing at first, but now I'm like, there's something that can work here, but you really have to like cycle in new characters yeah. and cycle out characters to, if you want to continue it, that's the only way it can work. Cause like you could go some crazy fucking places in that show. If you just decide to like divorce yourself from like, for example, Daniel, you're never going to see Daniel go and slit somebody's throat. That's the thing that could happen in this show if they just go the right direction. I'm going to fucking John Crease this shit, dude. <laughs> I'm going to John Crease this shit. I'm really glad they brought Terry Silver into the show. Yeah. It was the brightest spot of that season. Him and the Tory character were like. Yeah, definitely. Totally worked. It was interesting seeing Crease and uh, Terry, both of those characters approach in very different ways. John Kreese is just kind of like a bulldog. He's, you know what he's really kind of pushing for. Yeah. Terry Silver, you aren't sure. Like, I don't think he knows what he's pushing for, for moment to moment, dude. That's, I mean, like, he's He's like mentally unhinged. Yeah. Like, I mean, he could be pay. I mean, he was paying off refs. He was, (laughs) you know, beating up the freaking Canadian Farva. (laughs) (laughs) But, that guy got but to the, join Cobra Kai, so it was actually a kindness to him. <laughs> <laughs> and John Kreese and does need like, to go down. He does that for the long game to, like, take down John Kreese, yeah. like, to get him arrested. So fucking good. I mean, John Kreese was definitely fucking with his head, so I I can't feel bad. Oh, yeah. Like, I just want John Kreese to go back and hit harder rather than learn a lesson. I don't want John Kreese learning any lessons in the show. <laughs> I get it. You're trying to show that everybody's multifaceted. Don't do it with John Kreese. There's a reason why people have loved John Kreese for decades. <laughs> Leave him alone. It's fine to fuck with Johnny Lawrence, dude. <laughs> All right, we got Carl here. Hey. You want to start talking about Peacemaker since we were literally just talking about it before we recorded? Sure. Peacemaker dropped a couple days ago. First three episodes. Follow-up series to the Suicide Squad movie James Gunn made. Following Peacemaker, John Cena's character. So far, pretty fucking good. 
Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Doing a really fun breakdown of the character and just the whole Suicide Squad concept. Like, this is like an offshoot of the main. Amanda Waller's not around. It's like a, it's like an ancillary wing of Suicide Squad, I guess. Yeah, I kind of assume she's got... (sighs) Different cells. Yeah, she's got a lot of irons firing at the time so she's really only like super involved in the the really important ones but this one's like saving a senator so it's probably important killing a senator oh right killing a senator you're right (laughs) (laughs) but like she's probably got like seven plots to save the world going on right Right. and i i have a feeling at the end of the third episode which we're gonna just treat the first three episodes as one big episode yes that's when that's why they release them all at once yep uh at the end of the third episode they had the showing the map of the the butterflies and they're just like all over the goddamn planet so the butterflies we eventually find out is basically an alien race that are little butterflies but they take over people's bodies and when you shoot a guy in the face with a shotgun a little butterfly will crawl out of his face right well (laughs) although i gotta say they look more like a mantis they look like a mantis with butterfly wings which is a really cool look like when it's like sort of floating up into the air at the end of the episode it was very uh it was very visually uh, stunning. Yeah. It looked good. They won't tell Peacemaker what butterflies are, so he has to figure it out by the end of the <laughs> third episode. But Oh, and man, this show is so good. It pretty much goes off the rails right out of the gate. <laughs> okay, so first off, we were talking about earlier in the episode, but James Gunn is going to do another series for DC, apparently. I can't imagine after he finishes his little Marvel run of like Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and the holiday special, which they haven't shot yet, that he's going to go back to Marvel. They've given him a, a large embrace and probably the greatest opportunity of his career, honestly. Suicide Squad is the biggest thing to ever happen to HBO Max. Yeah. It's the biggest thing. I think he should be the Kevin I mean, Feige of the DCEU. It's the it's <laughs> probably the biggest thing outside of that Sopranos movie. Like that Sopranos movie was like crazy watched. Many Saints in Newark. Like it, it was successful well, I mean, enough where they're he, they're launching another James series. Gunn was the one that tweeted that that Suicide Squad was the biggest thing on HBO Max. So you take it up with him. I, I won't argue Many with Many Saints in Newark came out afterwards, so Yeah, but James Gunn tweeted the, this like two days ago. Oh. Okay. <laughs> well we don't get to see Peacemaker just came out, so people are talking about it, and I see him, I'm seeing him on Twitter a lot. I got downloaded a bunch on Reddit because there was a post about how a bunch of people were tweeting at James Gunn, and one guy said that he thinks Guardians of the Galaxy 3 should open with a dance-off between Peter Quill and Thor about who's going to be the leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy, which is a terrible idea. It's it's an objectively terrible idea. And James Gunn was like, uh, yeah, we're not going to do that. It's way- Not only is it way too late, but even if it wasn't, I would never do that. And then a bunch of other people were like replying to that and being like, Blah, like just like keeping it going. And he was just like, no, 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 no. I just kind of put forth the idea that maybe those people are just being really fucking obnoxious and wasting his time. <laughs> And I got, like, I don't think there's horribly. a maybe about it. Like this is <laughs> this is one of the problems I feel like we've been facing the last couple of years in particular is you get a lot of people that watch all this pop culture stuff and they think they know better than the creators. And it's one thing to give a critique, but it's a lot of people who are just like, I don't like this because it doesn't do what I want it to do, like what I personally envision the next chapter to do. And so they just rip on it and no ends. And we saw this a lot with Game of Thrones. I'm not going to sit there and defend the last season as as if it was great. 
specifically this problem I'm noticing is like people are taking ownership of all of these franchises and saying like, no, I know best for this franchise. And that is fucking insane. And it's kind (laughs) of an indictment on America in general because it's so much bigger than just this one little thing. Like it's the same as what we're seeing with vaccines, for example, right? Like scientists come out, they tell us something to the best of their knowledge and they've done the homework. And then people are saying, nope, I read this one thing and this is clearly what it is. And it's like, what do you fucking know? You're not going in a lab. You're not looking at anything, but it's all of a piece where the common person thinks that whatever they have pop into their head is the truth and the way it should be. And it's just fucking ridiculous, dude. There's a reason why people are in all these positions is because they're good at what they do. Yeah. Often, not all the time, but often. And I just feel like, yeah, it's, it's a toxic thing. If we're being honest, it's like, I know the best. So this is the way it should be. And like Peacemaker is definitely toxic in some regards, but it's definitely poking a hole at toxic people. We were just saying off of Mike, Peacemaker is a perfect example of that because he is a supremely toxic person. But yeah. also you see what a loser he is and how he has nobody good in his life. Like he's got his dad who he idolizes, but his dad is like a white supremacist douchebag who clearly shows him no love doesn't care about him at all and like he cries in private and he's mad Mm. at himself for like turning off people like they're showing the others the sad part of that toxic type of attitude and And i think it's also important that at the core of peacemaker is a good person Mm. and it's like he's put up these walls of asshole behavior to protect himself because he's actually very vulnerable. Yeah. He's like easily the most vulnerable character in the show because he's the least comfortable with himself, the least secure in who he is. Even Vigilante, who is clearly a sociopath, <laughs> like a complete yeah. and total psychopath. Like this guy <laughs> is fucked up, but he also is comfortable with who he is and he's aware of who he is and he's okay with it. And so he is like weirdly more mentally healthy than Peacemaker. <laughs> well, because they're both psychopaths a little bit, right? Like, yeah, I mean, they, they'll both like... kill people with wild abandon, but like, there's a line that John Cena doesn't cross. And this other guy, I guess he's just got a different line because like they're smoking weed in bed with that girl. And he's like, I can't believe they legalized it. I would have killed you both for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two but years. Because ago. it's legal now, like, he's, he's fine with it. He's annoyed by it, but he's, he's not <laughs> so fine he, with it. He, he tolerates has a line, it. but it's a different line than John Cena's line like it's a more arbitrary line that doesn't involve emotions yes it's just a strict arbitrary line he's he's not he doesn't feel good or bad like I think he does get joy out of killing but like he doesn't feel good or bad about like uh, what he's doing he feels good or bad about what the other people are doing and then he fixes it or he you know doesn't fix it but peacemaker clearly like gets conflicted because he becomes emotional he gets emotionally conflicted about things like point a gun at a child even if it's clearly a monster child like they knew for a fact that this was not a normal human child at that point and he still couldn't pull the trigger right and when we reviewed the suicide squad i said that peacemaker is a living embodiment of america and i think that he really is too like we've seen this his motto is i will kill every man woman and child 
to bring peace, right? Which is so fucking stupid and ridiculous just on its face. That very quote is like the thing that he would do to bring peace is the opposite of peace. So like there could be no peace if he said that. And that is why I think he is America. This is exactly my point. I love Guardians of the Galaxy. Therefore, I will destroy James Gunn to make sure that I get the Guardians of the Galaxy I want. You're literally destroying the person who made the two movies that you love just because like they're not doing the thing that you want them to do. Peacemaker is an embodiment of these people for sure. And when he sees it in the crosshairs, he realizes like, I can't do this. This would be wrong, you know? But then he's got his toxic friend who just has no problem. He's like, mama bear, baby bear. <laughs> like He's just taking them out one by one like it's not a problem yeah. with so much glee. And it's interesting. They're both <laughs> extremely toxic people. And, and, and then what else, the other thing about the show, though, is like the tone of the show is very James Gunn. So there's like an element of silliness yeah. at its core. For example, Batmite is canon now in the DCEU. (laughs) I love that. Batmite is canon. Well, but the DCEU canon is insane and not consistent anyway. So, like, sure, everything can be canon in DCEU. Which Batman has encountered Batmite? Only animated ones that I'm aware of. No, I'm saying going forward. There are Batman. Oh, I guess oh, we have to wait. So, so is I'm it gonna say, I'm going to say the Robert Pattinson one. Robat Batman? Because <laughs> we know nothing about it yet. I think it might be Keaton. He's been Batman for so long well, that he would have more time to okay. have encountered Batmite. If we're going to be fair, if we're thinking of all the live action iterations of Batman, I think the most likely one to run into Batmite is like Adam West Batman. And if you count animated movies, I would say the Lego Batman. <laughs> <laughs> that fits right in there. I guess. But I would like it to be matched up with one of the less likely ones. Like, okay, well, then let's like say the more serious ones like Christian Bale. Or... Yeah, yeah. Let's say Christian Bale's Batman because that's <laughs> hilarious. That would never work out. And it would be funny because, like, so Batmite in the comics is like a goofy little Mr. Mixel Pickle sized creature that wears a Batman costume and is like obsessed with all things Batman. And he's so he wears the costume and he and he specifically is like a meta commentary. He's like a toxic fan. Yeah. So what would the DCEU modern bat might look like? Oh, it would be he would it would be, be like, dark and gritty. Dude. He would be like it would be yeah. dark and gritty. <laughs> he would he would have like a super muscular suit and like <laughs> Talk at the gritty voice. I'm Batmite. I'm Batmite. You're my favorite Batman. You're gonna kill some people. I like it when you kill people. There's a Joker over there. <laughs> I love that guy, even though I fight him all the time. I'm Batman. Oof. I think that would be a terrible Batmite. I think he needs a kind of lighter toned, like Griffin Newman. The friggin' title sequence of Peacemaker is a banger, and. It is, but I only watched it the first time. And the dance sequence (laughs) is super good. And I've watched it, like, not just each episode, but I've watched it on YouTube a couple of times. Because I really like how the eagle flies down at the end and does a little pose. And I like how everyone is completely stone-faced for the dance. Like, no one's smiling or even moving their faces at all. Their faces are literally... Unlike the the vigilante when he gets kidnapped and he keeps making goofy faces so that they can't (laughs) recognize him later and pick him out of a lineup. Which is just, like, the dumbest. (laughs) That's what I was actually picturing in my head when i was saying the goofiness of 
of James Gunn coming into the show. I was picturing that scene uh, of him just doing out of the space. I gotta say, as much as I love Guardians of the Galaxy, I kind of hope James Gunn just keeps working with DC at this point. Because yeah. this, he's like, less you, you, and I, you and I were fans of him before Marvel. Oh, right? for a long not, time. Not pretending like it's like I've, we know better or whatever. I've but been like, a fan of James Gunn since his the first thing he's credited for, which is... Is that Tromeo and Tromeo Julia? Tromeo and Julia. Yeah, then me too. I've, I've inadvertently shown that movie to uh, platonic female friends in a, like a private <laughs> setting, forgetting... <laughs> Forgetting just how dirty it is and getting super uncomfortable like 20 minutes into the movie when Tromeo is jerking off to porn at his computer. And I'm just like, I I love you. Let my breasts feed our children. There are many hungry children. Uh, True love. I love you. And it's like, that's what's getting him off. Yeah, that she loves him, which I mean shows the emotional core of the character. Even back then, even back then, James Gunn cared about it's characters. Intercutting with Juliet having a lesbian tryst with her uh, what housekeeper or whatever. That's the cook. Oh yeah, you're which right. is a character from the original play. Oh yeah, they yeah, just don't have a lesbian experience She's the in one the that... original play. Actually, no, they do have a lesbian experience in the original play because the intro to the movie has Lloyd Kaufman explaining that the ghost of Shakespeare <laughs> visited him when he visited Stratford upon Avon and fucking, slept in. Fucking Lloyd Kaufman, dude. <laughs> and I love told him, him this is and... how the play was really actually supposed to go. Is there a more eye-rolly guy than Lloyd Kaufman? He's my, he is like the embodiment, living embodiment of a dad joke. Yeah. Only yeah. like a really dirty, gross dad joke. <laughs> like the dad <laughs> who doesn't give a fuck. Incest creating mutant children and <laughs> toxic avengers and class of nukem highs did you know he's in the original rocky of course he is like he was in a best picture he's a real he's a real dude he's a real deal man what do you mean like, why would you be surprised sylvester stallone knew him a little <laughs> bit and he kept asking to to put him on the movie and he was like okay we'll get you on there he was just giving him a brush off and then lloyd kaufman like showed up and he was basically like, fuck. So they worked it in so that when he walks into a bar, there's a drunk person that's like passed out. And Rocky like picks him up and puts him into like a booth. And that is Lloyd Kaufman because that way he didn't talk. Like Sylvester <laughs> Sloan was literally like, we can't have him utter a line. Yeah, like he, he just can't knew. Do he can't yeah. deliver anything without it coming off extremely corny. Yeah. Like he can't. He is who he, he is. He can't even do a spit take. But it's rare that anyone can do a spit take, but he can't. He does a spit take in Tromeo and Juliet. He has a cameo and does a spit take. And I think he does a spit take in his cameo in one of the... (laughs) Maybe not. Uh, He's great. And, And James Gunn has this style and it's like just so good. Like the opening conversation that Peacemaker has with the janitor and just like the way that that people treat him with just absolute derision (laughs) they just don't have any respect for him but what i like about it is he's not the type to just like oh you've insulted me i'm just gonna shoot right he argues back and the guy's like telling him like you kill more people of color because you spend more time watching them and he's like okay (laughs) will it make you happy if i kill more white people i'll try to kill more white people going forward and the guy's like yeah actually that would make me happy to be clear he's not saying that in a way where he's like saying it sarcastically he 100 with his heart has decided he'll kill more he's not going to kill less minorities because he feels like they they need it the point he's going to kill as many white people as it takes to be the point is that he's (laughs) listening to this guy and taking 
taking what this guy is saying to him to heart. Right. That's the point. He may be doing it in a twisted, like that's what I'm getting insane across. way. Yeah. But he is he is doing the thing that we ultimately want superheroes to do, which is to listen to that common man. Consider them because they're the ones that you're ultimately fighting for. If you want to be a superhero, the one thing that you really have to avoid is like collateral damage. Right. Because that's the whole point is minimizing collateral damage as much as possible. Putting a stop to the bad guy is important, but not if you like wipe out a bunch of innocent people in the process. Peacemaker has no problem killing bad people, but I I think he hesitates if he has even the slightest chance of killing an innocent person because at his core, he is a good guy. And I would say this is. Partly why DCEU got so off on the wrong foot, yes. too, because you have Zack Snyder. So you look at the first two films of the DCEU. You have Man of Steel, where they're fucking terraforming the Earth and kill probably millions of people. And then you cut to Dawn of Justice, and they're, like, beating the shit out of people all over Gotham, like, fighting this giant monster. And there's, like, no consideration for, like, let's save those people. Yeah. So much to the point of where you get a different toxic director in to try and finish finish off justice league where he's like let's divert him over here and like they're saying sending flash to like go and save the people around and stuff like that it's literally just trying to undo what Zack snyder did and there's so many like Zack snyder fans that just don't see it don't consider it don't care about it and it's like that's the point of superheroes like at least like these superheroes they're supposed to protect everybody and so if you're not protecting people it's ridiculous and that's partly what's entertaining about peacemakers he genuinely does want to protect people but he's kind of crazy and so he doesn't know how to do that properly either like his solution is i will kill more white people like not i will (laughs) consider minorities more like you know like have a different outlook it's not that he's just like no i'll I'll kill more people don't worry about it you know he's (laughs) he's insane and that's what makes it so much fun is like you don't have to root for the guy he's just entertaining to watch i guess and he's his heart's in the right place but like he is absolutely not a good person (laughs) you know what else is kind of wild is a lot of this dialogue that's very witty and bantery and has an improvisational feel to it is actually what james gunn wrote because he's good at writing dialogue yeah like his dial it's always snappy you know doesn't always come off as like natural sounding like you can kind of tell when it was like intentionally designed to be he casts well and the people are good at what they do and like the whole sequence in the second episode when the one girl is is using her tablet as like the visual backup to the guy's plan. But then she inadvertently swipes across her wife's uh, like picture of her vagina. Right. She sent to her and she gets really embarrassed. <laughs> and that whole thing erupts into this chaos of it. Like falling into these moments of like these sidetracking moments where things like kind of go off the rails a little bit. So Peacemaker goes home with a girl. She turns out to be a butterfly. She tries coincidentally because he just left the dossier. Well, and out. it turns out it's. <laughs> I mean, it is coincidental, but also those things are fucking everywhere. Yeah. So it's probably less of a coincidence than we think. There's probably a lot more of them around. But right. regardless, but what was funny was they were trying to figure out who but, the mole was, and it well, turns out it's just because he left the dossier so, out. Uh, after he he tries to run away, and he jumps out the window of the her apartment. And then he has to go back after he takes her out with this sonic boom helmet thing that he's got that's ridiculous. It just turns her into nothing. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Graphic violence. <laughs> Trigger warning. 
You don't like people getting put into a blender, basically. Yeah, if you've ever vaporized. had to pick up somebody's face off the, the <laughs> yeah. ground. Um, so he goes back up there, right, to get his stuff. He takes this time to, like, go through her record collection and take all her good records. <laughs> As he's leaving and you're like, like, I'm sitting there going like, the cops are coming, dude. Why are you doing this? Because <laughs> he needs those Cinderella records, man. Cinderella <laughs> kicks ass. And then when he goes through that apartment and he sees that guy in front of him, he spills all the records out of the bag and he's like, pick those up. And so the guy's like picking them up and he's got a knife. And then the wife comes over and she's like yelling at him for something. He's like, cause I got a knife trained on me, Amber. Like he's all pissed off <laughs> yeah. at her. And then she's like attracted to him and he's got him tied up, but he's clearly like flirting with her and stuff. The guy goes to hand the bag back to him and he spills all the records out of it again. <laughs> so yeah. it's just like, and Peacemaker should be out the window. He should have been long point. gone. Yeah. But he just waits cause he's, not going to give get rid of those records and then eventually he winds up double teaming her with vigilante (laughs) (laughs) what a nonsense show it's so much fun were you watching the end credit sequences yes okay i I just wanted to check i was kind of surprised when i saw there is an end credit and very delighted it was like yeah james gunn understands what we want so i have a question for you about the next so we've got five more episodes is that what we got i believe there's it's an eight episode series do you think we'll see a cameo from any of the other Suicide Squad members? And so if from if, his movie, from the movie, do you think we'll see any of the other Suicide Squad members? And which one would you like to see the most? I already have thought about this, so I can go if you need a second to think if about I, it. If I'm being honest, the one I'd like to see the most is Harley Quinn because I so enjoy her, especially in that movie. But I think the most likely is Ratcatcher too, because everybody else is like so. Demand. That's who I wanted. It's hard to imagine. Who I would want to see. I don't know how they'd fit her in. They've already mentioned her by name in that first episode. They established her again. And uh, so, like, I think it'd be cool to see her. I wish we could see Polka that man, but we probably won't because he's dead. Like, that's probably. Yeah, I guess we could see him too. They mentioned the weasel. Because they were sitting, yeah. when they're sitting at the dinner, the table at the restaurant, and he's like, "I'd rather be on a team with Weasel than a team with you." Piece of you shit. know what? That kind of makes sense if Weasel shows back up, though, because it's his brother. Well, they doing the body. Count. No, I just meant because they made a point of showing that he survived at the end of the movie. It would be fun. It'd and be like, fun to see him. Who cares about Weasel? Like, do something. He could absolutely throw that in there if he wanted to. Like one of those post end cappers, like post sure. episode yeah. end cap. It seems like it's just like dialogue that they cut that wasn't necessary for the scene, and then they just put it at the end, right? Like that's what I've noticed out of the three. I could end see credits. like. I could see Rick Flagg showing up in some kind of a dream sequence or hallucination sequence. Yeah, blaming sure. him. He for does seem to be him. upset for killing Red. He knows Rick he Flagg. fucked up there. He yeah. knows he because like Rick Flagg is kind of who he wanted to be. Ultimately, he just goes about it in a totally idiotic, again, toxic, toxic way. way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It really is, and it's just a fascinating exploration of the concept of masculinity and heroism and, you know, black ops and ends justifying means like there's just all sorts of fun stuff to talk about. It's kind of the same conversation we're having right now in this form that we had like 10 years ago in comics with Invincible and the boys and, you know, these other comics that are these things you know that are being adapted now to television and movies uh but right now particularly with invincible and the boys both being on amazon and both very much being a satire of 
superhero fiction. Yeah, it's interesting. Movies tend to, and I, I realize that we're all talking about shows, but they're kind of becoming one and the same For in sure. a sense. And when you look at the history of genre fiction, at least in the movie theater, you wind up with like these genres that become really big. I'll use Westerns as an example. Like you have Westerns, right? And then you get these classics that like build up and then they establish tropes that they keep using and it becomes very popular. And then towards the end of the popularization of it, then it becomes where they start to deconstruct it because you've got all of this history of it and people don't want to just see the normal thing anymore. They have to throw in a twist. Yeah. And so, eventually so the now twist it's about becomes... like, what is superheroes like? And they pick one little thing or a couple little things to like pull apart and really examine, right? Like they're deconstructing. We're seeing that with superhero stuff. Like when you look at, for example, um, uh, well, honestly, like anything James Gunn's doing is a perfect example. He was ahead of the curve in the deconstructing the superheroes, I think. Like when you look at the super or a ahead of the curve or in, not the super in super film. Yeah. Because, again, all yeah, of it this, was happening. In this comics. conversation yeah. has been going on for in comics for 40 years. Yes, but Alan Moore, but it's a, it's go, a, you can go back easily to Alan oh, Moore. Like to Watchmen is totally yeah, deconstructed. Exactly. Yeah. But what I meant is and like that was the in, mid eighties in, in genre, <laughs> like in movie Hellblazer. genres, like James Gunn has been ahead of the curve on deconstructing, but he started doing it before he became like guardians of the galaxy, James Gunn, but even guardians of the galaxy is deconstructing it a little bit. Right. Somewhat. And I think that is ultimately like why I agree with you that he should switch over to the DCEU is because I think he is a like there is I think no he gets to version, be pure James Gunn. There's no Marvel movie that's not a little bit sanitized for mass yeah. market appeal and like potentially Deadpool can, 3. You can explore concepts but within a much more tightly relegated framework and they just happen to choose incredibly talented people that are able to sort of gloss over that fact, you know, like, but compare Guardians of the Galaxy, either one to Suicide Squad, and you can see how much different things go when James Gunn doesn't have a leash around his neck. Yeah. <laughs> and he's fun, but I don't want to give too much credit to DC. They just lucked out and got him. They tried this before and it didn't work because they brought in uh, Joss Whedon. Like they brought in Joss Whedon and then had him jump in with Justice League and it didn't work out. Yeah, but those guys don't. But I don't think. My point yeah. is they got they got lucky in that like somebody from the Marvel machine got bounced out. And so they like picked him up right and the first time they tried it didn't work out it worked out with james gunn but like it worked they don't he's... have a great track record with this stuff like james wan did a pretty good job with aquaman but like had a total track record because he was doing the conjuring and then he was interested in doing a superhero thing so they were like okay let's bring him over that's where marvel's really succeeded is like they're looking at these people who do very entertaining things and they're like let's bring you over to our thing and you can, like, do what you do with our formula, right? Do you think, like, well, in James Gunn, he's an auteur. He has a very unique style that, that brings in people all on its own. Yeah. And I think that uh, the reason that they, I don't know if they necessarily lucked out. I mean, they lucked out in the fact that they were able to convince him to come do a thing. But once that he was on board, it was going to be fucking good. It just was. Yeah. Because he, I don't think he's missed yet. That I, I can I don't think, think of. so either. And, I mean, 
I don't think that every movie he's done is like unimpeachable. I don't think he's know? made a bad movie. But I don't think he's made a movie that I've been like, wow, I really wasted an hour to two hours Dude, of I my fucking, life watching this. I love this. Brightburn, which is also a superhero deconstruction thing. And he, he wrote just, and produced it. Yeah, he didn't direct that one. He wrote it, though, and it, it ties in with one of his previous movies man, as well. He has got a, he works hard, man. He write, he did like for, for Peacemaker, he wrote like thousands and thousands of pages of storyboards like sketched them all out and really like thinks this stuff out to an extent that is truly intimidating to me as a person who wishes they could do something on the along those lines <laughs> i'm just like i can't even imagine and he has a fan base that is unwavering for sure that's where he's a lot like tarantino in that they both have the same work habits where like tarantino for example once upon a time in hollywood he like wrote that for eight years i think like he kept putting it down and coming back to it like waiting for the right actors to come and then he like tailors the script around the actors he wrote imdb pages for the <laughs> the actor and like was like trying to figure like not just like i'm going to replace this other actor's career with this character he's like no what would this actor do what would he grab from other people what kind of projects would be made for him right like he's then even making it as a movie wasn't enough for him to finish telling that story he had to write his own novelization of the film that like expands on a bunch of shit yeah because he had all of these ideas in his head this isn't enough for me more and he also wrote i think five episodes of bounty law which is the show that Rick Dalton's on, which he's, you have to take this with a grain of salt, but he said he will make someday when he's done with this 10 movies, like he's going to make that as a show. And I'd say take it with a grain of salt because Tarantino like dives in with his writing. And then at some point he like has to turn it off to work on the next thing. And then he just like abandons everything he said. Cause he's always like, I'm going to do this other movie. I'm always, I'm going to cross this over. Like he doesn't stop. And then by the time he's finished, like you doing think we'll ever get movie, a third bride movie. No. <laughs> Do you think we'll it's possible? Ever get... I think he's gonna stick what with his guns. We got... I think he'll do one more and he'll stop. What if we got a bride movie that wasn't directed by like oh. what if it was the daughter of the bride and it was uh directed by somebody different and didn't have Uma Thurman in it because it wasn't Uma Thurman's character, but it was the daughter. Everything character? you're saying I don't like. <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> But do you think we'll ever get it? Maybe it's in like, possible. Like do you think that, that Kill Bill's gonna hold up in the zeitgeist long enough that like twenty years from now somebody will be like you know what people would would really like dig is a let's go back to kill bill and do like another movie yeah the only thing i could say that would be a positive it seems very possible to me here's the positive that i can see in something like that which is that it would continue to keep alive the nostalgia for that genre of movie that is very much pretty much gone and all we have left is old movies to rewatch. Yeah. We're not getting new movies. We're in just the getting Kung Tarantino Fu. and J- James Gunn. They're like the closest to what he likes to do, which is like, it's those gritty exploitation. And even these movies are, that and, are like, and crazy they're not making those kinds of movies. They're making, they're making, they're making modern new... movies that are homages to yes, those movies. Yes, that's and right. And that is still not the same thing. No, you're right. Because it's you're still right. the modern. That's I'm just saying that's, yeah, all, yeah. that's all we really that's get. That's all we get. Is like this new yes. version of of that like and that's when i would say like like i feel like punk truly is dead 
because we're not getting the same like people that are growing up today are growing up in a world so different from the world the punks of the 70s and 80s lived in that like i don't think they're capable of making the same kind of music all they can do is like hear that older music and like kind of filter it through their own lives and make this new thing that might be similar but is not the same yeah you know and so punk is dead and it's fine because everything dies. <laughs> yeah, let, I'm fine with it. Let things die is what I'm saying. <laughs> let things die. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just keeping it on life support, and it's like really sad when and you I go wish, to see it, and it's got you know, lots I of medical bills. That you were right. I wish that you were right, and that when we reached the point where a, a certain genre started to become parodied, that that si- showed that we were reaching the end of its lifespan. I didn't say the end of its lifespan. It's like the beginning the, the, of. It's like the, it's the beginning of the. End end of its relevance the decline the beginning of the decline right because we got we got the pinnacle of the musical biopic parodies with walk hard (laughs) but they're still fucking making them and they learned nothing from them and they're getting to be clear i I didn't say (laughs) it was getting worse (laughs) i didn't say it was the end of the genre and that's (laughs) like just the end of it being like the relevant genre like when it's the most powerful because we still get westerns dude yeah but walk hard came out and then we got bohemian rhapsody yeah and then we got it's not gonna stop rocket it's just, man it's just but they're not nearly as po- as popular as they used to be we get I like think... one a year that's popular if that we used to get multiple a year uh-huh. look back in the 2000s man we got like three I or four will. a year Rockstar. but by the way they weren't i don't think the music biopic was ever the most popular genre remember anyway. rock star we yeah. did that on box office battles. rock star never stopped never stopping that's pop star <laughs> oh pop star Rockstar is the one with Jennifer Aniston we and did Mark not, Wahlberg. We did not do that on Box Office Battle, but I've seen what it. What did we do it for? Because I remember talking about it a lot. We might It might have just come up in discussion. I think I might have did a... I think I made us watch it. I don't think so. Why did you watch it then? You wouldn't. I saw it when it first came out. What? Yeah. Why? <laughs> it's so bad. You know why? Okay. I was working in retirement. But you home. know what is great about that movie is that all the rock star wives in that movie are played by real life rock star wives, and all the stories they're telling on the bus, the tour bus, are all true stories. I did not know that. And it, that's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> I got to say, I like those. Ladies. What I did think was very funny They're about like, that movie. They look rough as hell. Um, I was in a band when that movie came out and the irony never fucking left me that like you got this loser who like wants to to be the singer of his favorite band. Right. Yeah. And so he gets the chance to do it. It's loosely based off of Judas Priest. Yep. Like Rob they, Halford got fired for being gay. Yeah. They yep. replaced him with a guy who was in a Judas Priest cover band. Yep. <laughs> But they completely made up the story. They just took the the premise of that, right? Yeah. And what's really funny is when you get to the asshole. Yeah. But when (laughs) that was unnecessary. When you get to the very end of the movie, like Mark Wahlberg is now like he's going to be original, right? Like that's his whole thing. I'm going to find my voice. I'm going to be original. But he's just doing exactly what every popular artist was doing in the late 90s like when that movie came out he basically was like i'm not gonna do this anymore i'm gonna find my own voice but he's like 
I'm going to copy what everybody else in the scene is doing. And I don't know if they did that ironically or if like they were just too stupid to even see it when they put it into the plot. I'm not sure because I haven't seen that movie since it first came out. But I remember laughing when I saw that. I'm pretty sure for most of the people involved with that project, it was like, hey, a paycheck's a paycheck. Let's make this thing. (laughs) I'm I'm not getting paid to think this is good. I'm getting paid to get it out. Get it done. So in other words, but I, I, oh, let me put I it this it way. I don't know what the intention was. Honestly, I bet it was a super fun movie to make, even though it has, it's like, it's like empty calories, like zero nutritional content yeah. kind of movie. Dude, nobody even talks about that movie. Like this is the first time I've even heard a reference to that movie in like 20 years. Well, I've been thinking about it a lot because the Peacemaker soundtrack is a lot of hair metal, yeah. which is like the Eurovision of metal kind of. It's like a perfect blend of regular metal and eurovision it's it's glammy it's like uh it's not like super complex musically but that's not the important part the important part is putting on a good fucking show and like when you listen to the guitar rhythms they're they're like shockingly slow like even like the the title song is of peacemaker is do you really want to taste me by wigwam right (laughs) which i was shocked to discover was formed in 1967 Jesus. and uh it is finnish and very sadly there were only two the, the band had like 12 members over the last and they're still active although i think they may have stopped last year because two members of the band that have been with the band from beginning to end never left right and one of them was like the founder and lead member i forget his name but he died in october of 2021 and so i think he just missed getting to see his song be this big hit and uh they are they've been around forever but like yeah. uh like the guitar riff is like i've definitely not, heard that song before it's, it's not like a rip roaring musically amazing riff it's like a but it's like slow and the drums are like i could literally fall asleep playing those drums and keep those drums going yeah you know like it, that because that has nothing to do with it it's all about putting on this fancy show and like he was saying oh this was when music was good when men weren't afraid to be women <laughs> <laughs> and he says that again he says that in a not insulting like in a uh to him it's not an insulting it's not an thing. insulting thing he's at just all. kind of thoughtless when it comes to what is acceptable to other people right <laughs> yeah but get like this. it's not excusing so it's just like he calls him so when he goes to the restaurant he calls the waitress hey sweet cheeks right, right. and everyone's like you can't fucking do that and he's like, why not? She has sweet cheeks. Her cheeks on her face are sweet. Uh, I have a coworker who grew up with a grandma that called everybody sweet cheeks because of that, be for the exact same reason. Right. The grandma it's was probably a, something James Gunn heard that it was a totally innocent thing. It's always different depending on who's delivering it to who. Right. But like that like line, you hit see me. an old lady deliver it to her grandchild innocent you see like a dude like john cena deliver it to a waitress not innocent even if he means it that way you but the isn't that assumption on you sure but that's what i'm saying like it, it depends on who's delivering it to who like everybody will perceive it differently that's my point about him is like part of his toxicity is that he doesn't take into account the things that he says and how they'll be perceived right can we but could we also not see that part of the toxicity is that 
we project toxicity onto him yeah. because he's when he says sweet cheeks, he does not mean it in a derogatory way no, no. whatsoever. It, he is totally innocent. And when people challenge him on it, he's like genuinely offended. You realize like, oh, this guy's actually a little bit more naive than right. I realized. So this this comes to the core of a lot of discussions I had when I was kind of like really thinking about different things in the world. I'll just put it this way. But I had this long conversation with somebody and we were talking about like white privilege and he was saying, just listen to minorities when they talk like purely like just listen to them like i can tell you all this stuff but just listen when they talk and like that's part of the thing is like he clearly has not done the work to listen to other people who are trying to tell him that's offensive right it would be like somebody dropping the n-bomb and legitimately not knowing that that's not okay if you're white and you're saying it to like a black person but like innocently don't understand but you have the black person telling you hey don't say that that's offensive and then they like backpedal and try and like no no no, you don't understand but like the very act of that backpedal is also toxic because like you're not listening you're still offending people because you won't just shut up and say okay i'm sorry i didn't know that i'll do better well and like also, and that's that's what i'm trying to say is when like, white people police other white people's behavior when it comes to shit like this it's easy for them to be equally ignorant of what's really happening and to make fools out of themselves policing another person's behavior and also doing more damage than good because if if a person who says say there's a person that says racist stuff sometimes right and you decide you're going to police them on every little thing that they say they're going to get increasingly defensive but what you really should be doing is like pick your battles if wait for them to say something that is like coming from an intentional place or whatever you know and, and then here list like listen to me Telling people how to police people's behavior. See, it's like, it's like the, it creates this vicious cycle of right. like, just why are we doing any of this? Yeah. And like, you're why right. are we do, why are we policing this behavior? Am I policing this behavior because it makes me personally uncomfortable? You know, like a lot of these things come down to just pure selfishness. It's, <laughs> it's just like, I feel it's weird. It's interesting too, because like we hit, it's, remember when, <sighs> I, I think you're old enough to remember like the 90s, how there was this backlash like, oh, everything's PC now. It's all PC culture. Like there's that backlash. And you look back and look at the 90s and you're like, nothing about this decade <laughs> was PC. And yet like people were fighting back saying PC culture, like it's nuts. And it's just like both sides of it. You know, like we talked about it with, and, and well, I don't want to dive back into it, but when we're talking about the whole Matt Damon controversy, just like how it's people overstretching you know like somebody is expressing that they learned a lesson and then they're just yeah. like yeah but you didn't learn it fast enough and he wasn't even being yeah. called to account for something and it's like the policing is bad but also it happens because they've been unchecked for so long that like maybe it's because <laughs> we're trying to figure out how to do the policing correctly yeah you know how what I dare mean? you learn this lesson 20 years later and not back when the thing happened <laughs> <laughs> right and it was unfortunately socially acceptable in most circles yeah. it's kind of nuts but we should probably cut off here so take it easy please rate review and subscribe to the show follow us on instagram at redwood underscore sound underscore labs facebook at facebook.com slash redwood sound labs or email us at not network at gmail.com not safer network was created by carl borneman brandon beardsley and alex small produced by alex small 
a podcast about the narrative and effective politics of war movies and their productions too. Charles Horgan and Aaron Donaldson bring you a brand new podcast, The Real War Project. Dip in and out of subjects with Lauren and Sarah's irreverent points of view with the hilarious podcast, Dippers. Catch up with the week's pop culture news as well as reviews of new movies and shows, not to mention the occasional interview with Carl, Brandon, and Biggs on Not Safe for Network. Wrestlers wrestle, but sometimes they make movies too. This podcast lets you know how they do. Listen to Eric and Connor in all three seasons of Movies with Wrestlers. One by one, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies and some wretched ones too in the podcast you can't miss, A Cosmic Void. 